As we continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we continue to move through the Beatitudes, we come this morning to chapter uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, we pray and ask for you to speak. Speak through your word to us and help us to receive it as the nourishment it is meant to be for us, for our faith, for our worship, for our obedience, that we might indeed Reflect your person and your work in filling up the world with good works. And so as you walk with us, speak to us, build Christ into us as we take your glory to the nations. Bless us, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In Gerald Manley Hopkins' poem, As Kingfishers Catch Fire, he he says, As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wells, Stones ring, like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out, broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors, each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells. Crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace that keeps all his goings graces, acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in ten thousand places, Lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his. To the Father through the features of men's faces. Beloved, the Christian life is a lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Where what things are is expressed in what they do. Here in this poem, what, what Hopkins is doing is he starts with creation and he, and he says, look at, when you look at this world, when you look at this beautiful world, you, you, and he, he focuses here, he focuses here on some, on some, some insects and, 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 and birds and stones and, but what is his point? When created things do what they were created to be, It is dazzling. It is beautiful. 
Well, why? Well, because there is a congruence there. When there is incongruence, when there is disharmony, we don't see those things as beautiful. We don't see those things as as glorious. Beauty, as Augustine talks about, beauty is this, at the heart of beauty is this sense of of congruence, of what a thing is and what a thing does. He moves, Hopkins moves from creation, he moves into things that man has made with, with, with bows and with bells and with the very self. He moves into Christ. Who is Christ? He, he is the one who acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. Palm Sunday is a Sunday in which we remember who Christ is in his accomplishment of this plan of redemption that the Father and the Son and the Spirit agreed upon before the foundations of the earth. Where Jesus, in a symbol of peace, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey instead of riding in on a war horse. Jesus, in his earthly life and in his earthly ministry, did not come to bring war. That's coming. But in his first advent, he came to establish peace. And to establish that peace, he came in humility. He came as one who was willingly giving up things in order to be a blessing to people who were trapped in their own sin. He set aside glory for a time. He set aside worship, where, uh, of receiving worship for a time. He set aside all of these, these things that He is owed because He is the eternal God. And He willingly emptied Himself. He gave those things up for a time to come as someone who was a poor nobody born to a weak family who were not prestigious, who did not have money, who did not have power, who did not have the ability or influence to change anything. But what appeared to be weakness, what appeared to be insignificance, this little baby born in a manger, was nothing less than the king of the universe come in flesh. Come to do what he was was uh, uh, born to do, and 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 Paul tells us he came to shed his blood. That through the shedding of his blood, he would establish peace between God and man, and that he would establish peace between man and man. Jesus, this Palm Sunday, comes riding in as an agent of peace. And he comes in humility, as the kids said in in Sunday school this morning, he came as the Son of Man 
to serve, not to be served. Jesus was the perfect, devoted son. And that's how he lived. His life revealed the congruence that that beauty is based upon as he is the beautiful God, as he is the God of beauty. And as writers from the past have reminded us, to reject beauty is to reject truth. We can't separate these things. We don't separate truth from beauty. We don't separate truth from goodness. We don't separate goodness from beauty. Right? We don't separate these things from one another because they're different perspectives of the same thing. And that thing is God. Beauty is an angle through which we understand God. Truth is an angle through which we understand God. Goodness is a, is, an, is a different angle through which we understand God. And when all of these come together in perfection, what you have is God. And what you have in Jesus Christ is the God who came and took on flesh to be the visible presentation of the invisible God. That's what we read in Colossians 1. And he did all of this to establish peace. Jesus, when he has promised in Isaiah 9 that, that we read back in, in Advent, was coming and he would be called the Prince of... Oh, man, we are scared to talk at this point in the service, aren't we? He came and he would be called the Prince of... Peace. peace. Peace, defining who he is and defining his mission. Peace, the prince of peace. We read from Micah 5.2. If you, if you had gone a couple verses down into Micah 5.5, 5, you would see that this one promised who would be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah was coming to establish peace. When we remember Christ on Palm Sunday or when we remember Christ on Good Friday or we remember Christ on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday or whatever you want to call it, when we remember Christ Sunday to Sunday to Sunday as a corporate expression of and embodiment of our Savior, what we are remembering and celebrating and participating in is peace. The Christian life is a lifelong practice of attending to the details of congruence. Congruence between what we are counted to be and how we live. Congruence between ends and means. Congruence between what we do and the way we do it. Congruence between what is written in Scripture and how we live out what is written in our lives. Congruence between uh, preaching and living. Congruence between uh, the sermon and what is lived by both the preacher 
and the congregation. It is a living out of the congruence of the word made flesh in Jesus with what is lived out in our flesh as those who make up his body. This is what Jesus is communicating to us in the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he's communicating to us in the Beatitudes. He is saying, here is me. And if you're in my kingdom, you're part of me, and I'm part of you. And so as I live in that congruence of what I am and what I do, you are being called to embrace that calling of congruence as well. Congruence between doctrine that is believed and doctrine that is practiced. And so throughout these Beatitudes, we are being reminded time after time after time after time of who Jesus is, who we are in him, and how we are to, what, uh, how to live, what we are to live for, the, the way in which we are to live. And here in this specific Beatitude, we are reminded that the Prince of Peace entered Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday to establish Peace, and he came in a manner of peace. He came in a manner of peace to establish peace where there's congruence between means and ends. And as he was the one who perfectly embodied the congruence, he went to the cross. And he died. And he was raised from the dead. And as Psalm 2 reminds us, in Jesus being raised from the dead, he was declared to be the Son of God. He was vindicated as the Son of God. And what we are told here in this beatitude is that as we embody the life and ministry of our Savior, that we will receive his vindication as well. As those who have been made part of the Prince of Peace, as you live that out, by making peace, we are told that we are vindicated with the vindication that Jesus himself received in his resurrection. We are called, beloved, to live out who we are. And as the recipients of peace, because we have been made participants in the life and ministry of the Prince of Peace, we, like the one in whom we participate, we are to be a people who make peace. If you want to understand the reason for the ongoing earthly ministry of the church, 
As we wait for our Savior to return, where we're waiting to see Him face to face, right? As we are waiting, what are we doing? We are embodying Him to the world as we are ambassadors of peace. And for some reason, for some reason, we can't seem to wrap our hearts around that calling. Let me be a little more specific. I don't think we can wrap our tongues around that calling. We like to argue. We like to disagree. We like to debate, right? And I mean, we like to do all of these things with God's Word. We like to debate God's Word when you and I sit down by ourselves to read it. If you're like me, you wrestle with what you're reading. Now, yes, there are going to be sections that you read that you like, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, oh, I like that too. But then there are going to be those sections that you don't like, right? The sections that you like, you know, God shows his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, I like that one. Oh, yes. I'm so glad, God, that you love me. I'm so glad that you were willing to die for me as an expression of love to secure love for me, to enable me to love you in response. I love, I love that. I love that. Love your enemies. Mm, mm. That one doesn't sit as nice. Now, I, I want you to love me when I was your enemy, but I don't want to love my enemies. And if we're honest, a lot of times we don't want God to love our enemies either. Right? Jesus came as a peacemaker. And has now made us as recipients of that peace, as participants in that peace, he calls us to make peace. It's not easy. The Bible speaks a lot about the way peace gets broken, and that is through the tongue. But the tongue can also be used to make peace. And so as we reflect upon this calling that we have to be peacemakers, let's just note a couple of obvious things. First of all, if you're going to be a peacemaker, it means that you make the willful decision not to be a peace disruptor. Right? If you're going to be a peacemaker in Christ, you first have to make the willful decision that I'm not going to be a drama queen. I'm not going to stir up things. I'm not going to be someone who is needling and getting things agitated. I'm not going to be someone who is disruptive. I'm not going to be someone who, when there is some disruption, I'm not going to jump in to escalate it. So let's just start there. 
If I'm going to be an ambassador of Christ's peace, I'm going to make a decision that I'm not going to be a disruptor and I'm not going to be an escalator. I know what you're all thinking right now, right? The escalator. You're not going to ride that escalator. In relationships, as you deal with your relationship with God, as you deal with your relationship with your own heart, and as you deal with your relationships with the people around you, you make a willful decision that I'm not going to be a disruptor of the peace. I'm not going to be someone who escalates division as it is happening. And that starts, beloved, with the communication you have within your own heart about yourself. So often we will create drama with our own, our, within our own hearts because we don't take our sin and our struggles to the Lord to have him wash us with the gospel. Instead, we will nurture whatever is happening in there. Lord, I don't like how things are going, and, and so you'll nurture that. Lord, I don't like the struggle that I have with sin, but, but rather than, than take the path that he has given us to, to deal with that through Christ, we instead will blow things up for ourselves. We nurture those bad feelings. We, we nurture the practices and the habits that, that make things worse. It starts with us and how we, how we communicate within ourselves. We have to make the decision within ourselves. I'm not going to be someone who is self-destructive in my walk with God. And I'm not going to do that in my walk with the people around me. So first, we, right, you just make the decision. I'm not going to be a disruptor. I'm not going to be one who escalates. But he doesn't say... Blessed are those who want peace. But at the same time, if we're going to be peacemakers, not only do we have to make the conscious decision that I'm not going to be a peace disruptor, we have to make the decision that we actually want peace. That we actually want to be an agent of peace. But just wanting it is not enough. And notice he doesn't say, blessed are those who preserve peace. But at the same time, if we're going to be peacemakers, we do have to at least be someone who makes the willful decision that I'm going to try to preserve peace when I find myself in it. And that's, that's a good thing to do. But that is not where the blessing is found here. We're not going to be disruptors. We definitely are going to want to desire it. We definitely are going to want to keep it when, when we're in it. What he says is that we are called to be peacemakers. That we proactively engage in the different relationships that we have. Relationship with ourself, relationship with God, relationship with our neighbor. We're going to engage those relationships with a proactive means of communication and interaction where the peace that I enjoy with God is a peace that I try to be a conduit of within whichever setting I find myself.
I have been really impressed with how for the majority of the people that I have met that have had to deal with the recent unpleasantness of our sister congregation and those who have come over here and many who aren't here today because it's spring break. But I have been impressed with with the lack of whining and the lack of complaining and and the lack of bad of bad mouthing and that is that is so impressive as someone who has gone through a church split and I know those temptations that are there I've just been very impressed and and I've uh, and encouraged and I and I want you to know I pray for you along those lines But what we want to remember is even with regards to that situation, we're called to be peacemakers. Not just, well, you know, we've moved on. That's good. You want to move on. But it's not enough. We want to be, Christ says, peacemakers and not just with people who want to be at peace. We are called to proactively go about our relationships in such a way that even when someone else is disrupting the peace, that we choose not to participate in the disruption. And as Paul says in in Romans 12, insofar as it's up to us, we try to live at peace. And this is not just for those who have come over. This is for all of us. That we are to be called as, as Christ people to do the things that need to happen, especially with regards to the use of our words that we strive to make peace. And so one of the ways that we can use our words to to help make peace is, one, within our own inner monologue, as you reflect upon and as you re-experience the things that have disrupted your peace, you have to change the way you talk about it to yourself. You have to change the, 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 the way you describe it to yourself because our tendency when we've been hurt, and I don't mean this made-up victim stuff. I mean when you've really been hurt, and real hurt happens, right? You don't have to have a victim mentality to have experienced victimhood. When it happens... You cannot give yourself permission to describe it to yourself as victimization. If you describe it to yourself that way, it will keep you stuck in the negative experience of what has happened. What we're told to do in the scripture is to go to God, take it to him, And as we go to our heavenly high priest, 
who was truly victimized for you and for me as the righteous one took our sins upon himself. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be hurt, not only by his enemies, but to watch his disciples scatter. To know that Peter was going to deny him three times. He knows what that experience is. And he has redeemed that through what he did on the cross to make peace. And so you've got to start within yourself how you describe to yourself what has happened to you so that you can interact with God and with yourself in such a way that you don't coddle or nurture those negative feelings, but instead you embrace the power of the gospel to make peace. And as you change the way you talk about it within yourself, it will change the way you talk about it when you talk with other people. Because whatever you say in your inner monologue, you're going to say to some degree when you talk with someone in your outer dialogue. You may not say outwardly all that you're thinking. <laughs> Hopefully not. But you will still speak outwardly as a reflection of how you're speaking inwardly. And so if you want to be a peacemaker in the way that you engage other people outwardly, it has to start inside your heart. You have to use words inside your own heart that will lead to a fruitful use of words when you engage other people. And if you don't start here, you cannot make peace around you. But we are called to make peace. And so the encouragement from Christ for us here is that we are as his body who is still on earth as the recipients of his peace as those who already enjoy the heavenly peace that he has achieved, we are called to be the aroma of peace around us insofar as it is up to us. We, we cannot be peace guarantors. We, we, can't, you know, we can't just guarantee peace around ourselves. And he doesn't call us to do that. What he calls us to do is drink deeply from his peace that as we experience that peace, we can attempt to share that peace with others. I would say one of the things that we have been reminded of this past week from the experience of another sister congregation is that sin is still real and it is very prevalent and it is something that is concrete as sin and death are not merely theological concepts they are concrete realities that continue to exist in God's world and right now 
the temptation for all of us is to try to, to uh, as we try to process, as we try to understand, and certainly if we engage others about the shooting that has taken place at our sister congregation in Nashville, the temptation is going to be to engage these, these, these more specific con- conversations that are happening politically right now. And the choice that is before us as the church is to make a conscious decision not to participate in things that will only escalate, but to make the willful decision that we will attempt, insofar as it's up to us, to use our words as agents of peace. There is no shortage of people right now who want to discuss politics and policies. There is no shortage of that right now. The question is, who's going to be a voice of hope? Who is going to be a voice that says that there is a cure for sin and for death? Who is going to be the voice that says that death is not the end of the story, even when it is tragic and even when it, is, it has resulted in real victimhood? Who is going to be that voice that reminds the world that the church of anyone here on this planet believes in the reality of a resurrection from the dead, which is the necessary condition of enjoying the eternal life and peace that Christ has purchased. Who's going to be that voice? Who is going to be that voice that that says to someone who is angry, regardless of what side of the issue that they are on, who's going to say to them, I understand your anger. But those deaths are not the end of a story for those who are in Christ Jesus. And look, you may think that you'll get to talk about politics and policies and Jesus. You don't get to. I'm not saying that you don't have the freedom to. I don't, I'm not saying... You know, that it's not something that that you can't attempt. What I'm saying is in the current cultural context in which we live, you're going to have to decide. What am I going to use my words on? Am I going to attempt to be an agent of peace by presenting the hope of Christ and his resurrection Or am I going to engage in politics and policies that I know is only going to further cement the cultural chaos that exists right now? It would be a lovely world if we got to do it all. But that's not the world we live in. And if we want to see this world improve, 
and change. Not become sinless. That's, that's not going to happen until Jesus returns. But if we really want to be influences for peace, if we want to be influences for order, if we want to be influences for the things of God's truth, his goodness, and his beauty, then, beloved, it starts with the household of God that we ourselves reflect the congruence of Christ, that we ourselves reflect in our actions in our words, in our engagements, that we reflect the peace that we have received. And that we do so as a reflection not only of the peace that Jesus achieved, but the congruence of how he achieved it. He was emptied to be filled. He gave up rights in order to serve. He gave up power in order to help. This is how he went about a life of suffering in the flesh that led him to a cross where sins were placed upon him so that you and I who were God's enemies, you and I who were not God's people, as Hosea says, as First Peter says, would in Christ become God's people. Beloved, live in the congruence of what God accepts you to be in Christ and how you attempt, insofar as it is up to you, to reflect the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ in your words and in your good works as you seek the blessing of the peacemaker. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is so much easier for us not to live in peace. It is so much easier for us to, to want to have things our way, whether our way is the actual truth or whether our way is just a preference. It's so much easier for us to just want our way and to think that the good life is experienced here in this world through the avoidance of conflict or through the winning of conflict. Where what you tell us in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that victory is found in death, that exaltation is found on the other side of suffering. And that peace, peace is the result of the crucifixion. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace and the strength to transcend what is natural to us and to grow and to mature in Christ that we can be Christ played out in a thousand ways where the world can see Christ and hear Christ in the way that we interact with people and the way that we speak to people. And Lord, bring conviction to us when we are stirring up drama, when we are 
arguing and fighting for preferences. And instead, Lord, help us to humble ourselves to resist the devil and to speak as those with the tongues of Christ. Father, help help us as the church right now is faced with a very real calling and difficulty to try to be the agents of peace, to try to be a, a voice of hope. When we have participated in the disruption of peace and when so frequently even when we are able to, to, to faithfully represent Christ, it is met with derision, it is met with rejection, and as we find ourselves as those who have both lost cultural credibility, but also as those who have acted hypocritically within this world. Father, help us to humble ourselves and to confess our sins and to be renewed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we might indeed be salt and light within this world. But Father, help us to start with our own hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.